0: Hello and welcome back to the Church of Jesus Christ study session with Come, Follow Me. I'm your host, Matthew Roberts, and this is Series 2, Episode 176 of this daily podcast of the study of the materials of the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. Uh, we are continuing with our Come, Follow Me study this week. Uh, we are in June the 22nd to June the 28th, covering Alma, Chapters 17 to 22. I will make an instrument of thee. And we are now moving into the section covering Alma 17 to 18. I can help others prepare to receive the gospel. Now there's a lot to cover here, and I want to try and get through the most of uh, Alma 17 in one session today. So let's get moving. In verse 13, it says, "And it came to pass when they had arrived in the borders of the land of the Lamanites, they separated themselves and departed one from another, trusting in the Lord that they should meet again at the close of their harvest, for they supposed that the great that great was the work which they had undertaken." So we see the sons of Mosiah here separating as they journey into the land of the Lamanites, uh, and they split up. Elder Richard G. Scott said, quote, This life is an experience in profound trust, trust in Jesus Christ, trust in his teachings. Trust in our capacity as led by the Holy Spirit to obey those teachings for happiness now and for a purposeful, supremely happy eternal existence. To trust means to obey willingly without knowing the end from the beginning. To produce fruit, your trust in the Lord must be more powerful and enduring than your confidence in your own personal feelings and experience, Close I found this, and at first it seemed, it just felt like, you know, a pretty standard quote, but actually as I read it more deeply, it is brilliant because... I love how Elder Scott spoke about how we can trust in our, in our capacity as led by the Holy Ghost to obey those teachings. Are you ever like burdened with things that you just think, I can't stop doing this? I can't stop doing this with my kids or I can't stop doing this, um, you know, in the workplace or I keep doing this. You know, there's things that we do each each day, almost every day, perhaps. that we just think, oh, I wish I'd stop doing that. Um, but we need to have more trust in the Lord that through the holy ghost we can have that capacity um as as we are led uh, and trust that um that 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 enduring power and confidence can come through him um and so that's what the these missionaries used in verse 18 Ammon blesses them i'm not going to read the verse because we are already uh, cutting into our time very deeply here uh, we've only done one verse, uh, but there is a, a quote by Monty S. Nyman about this blessing that Ammon pronounces upon the other sons of Mosiah. Um, and he says, quote, today all missionaries are set apart and given an individual distinctive blessings. Most missionaries have also had patriarchal blessings, giving individual guidance and promises these personal guidelines will bring success to each missionary as we study the following chapters we will see the effectiveness of each of these four requirements in the lives of those of the sons of mosiah and those who went with them so it is important that when we are called and it, yes obviously this applies very directly to full-time missionaries but of course when we're called to any work we must listen to those blessings that are pronounced upon us. We also have our patriarchal blessings, which we should use as a, as a map, as a as a guide throughout our, our entire lives once we receive them and know where we can read them. Uh, and so that, that is important. Ammon then goes into the land of the Lamanites and he's brought before King lamoni Now, this is some very interesting exchanges between these two verse 23, Ammon says, Yea, I desire to dwell among this people for a time, yea, and perhaps until the day I die. And I think sometimes we overlook that very easily. Um, Ammon, we know he gave up kingship among amongst the people of the Nephites. He's left his parents. He's left what will be, I imagine, all his friends and acquaintances and the relationships he's built throughout his life. He's left those. Uh, in the land of Nephi except for his brothers who are somewhere within the land of the Lamanites who doesn't really know where completely um, and he is in, 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 in front of this foreign king, a king of people who the who are supposedly um very antagonistic toward Ammon and his people and Ammon says that he's willing to be there to, until the day he dies. Do we really grasp just kind of what he's offering to give up here he's offering to give up his whole life um, for for this king um, and in verse 24 obviously king Lamoni is very pleased with this and he offers um one of his daughters to wife um, as a wife for ammon now again this is an interesting um situation now we're not really told that king limoni knows who ammon is it's very possible that Ammon explained who he was, that he was the son of Mosiah, the king of the Nephites, perhaps. Um, but we do not really know, um, you know, if the king knew of Ammon's uh, kingly lineage. Uh, S. Kent Brown uh, suggested that that, they might, that he might of. Uh, he said, quote, it would have been a political coup, of course, for Lamoni Lamonite to marry his daughter to a Nephite prince. But the issue is more complex than we might appreciate at first. Both men seemed to understand that Ammon's new status in the, the Lamanite realm could be linked to Ammon's former status back home, that of a prince. But Ammon refused to allow his royal standing to enter into the, into the discussion. It is interesting that this Nephite, and let's not forget he was a Nephite amongst a group of Na- Lamanites, was offered such a privilege. And perhaps it isn't just the fact that maybe King Lamoni knew of his um, status in the land where he came from, but also just the the impre- the how impressed he was with Amon's willingness to be with those people and, and and well he he didn't know he wanted to serve at this point, but he was willing to give up his his old life to become in essence within the group of Lamanites. And so perhaps this impressed him so much. And in verse 25, Amon Ammon denies this. He says, No, but I'll be thy servant. Therefore Ammon became a servant to King Lamoni. Um Obviously, uh, we, there is a very clear parallel here. We have a prince um, who came amongst her people uh, and offered to be a servant. And obviously, there's a very clear parallel to our saviour again in this story. Um, Camille Franck uh, said this, quote, Ammon was presented gifts that would satisfy the carnal appetites. As Lamoni offered Ammon his daughter in marriage and a life of ease, so Satan made his tempting offer to turning stones to bread to the fasting Christ. Ammon could have ruled among the Lamanites, taking advantage of their ignorance when they taught him to be, when they thought him to be a god. Similarly, Christ was presented with a chance to use his power to gain instant popularity and worldly glory. Finally, just as the king of the Lamanites promised Ammon worldly riches, so did Satan offer the wealth of all the earth if Christ would worship him. Like the Saviour, Ammon did not give in into these worldly pleasures. Both the Saviour and Ammon had greater missions to accomplish. So clearly, there is an understanding here that Ammon desires to teach this people, and he recognises that they're not ready. Um, they're not prepared. He needs to help prepare them, which is the whole focus of this section. And so what he does, he says that he will serve. Um, and perhaps that is something we should be more focused on, is in doing missionary work, are we focused on you know teaching and testifying other things we believe to be true? Or are we more, are we more focused on serving and, and supporting and loving others? And perhaps we will be to have a bigger impact uh, through that method. Um, we know that he goes and he is told to look after the flocks. And we know that the um, the other Lamanites come and uh, scatter these flocks. And we also know that the servants that Ammon is working with are upset. But Ammon, <laughs> he's uh, he's telling him to be of good cheer. You know, he's excited. He's like, right, come on, we, we can sort this out. Um, and uh, so what he does, and this is obviously another great example of Ammon, is that he has such a positive attitude Uh, I mean, a couple of days ago I had a bit of an issue with my bike and I was, like, really annoyed about it. I got really cross. (laughs) And so, you know, I'm clearly not quite at the stage that Ammon was. He was in a much more difficult, and much more perilous situation because obviously the servants that had been in a similar situation had died before, uh, but he was a good cheer and he trusted in his law, in his God, uh, that he would support and strengthen them. Uh, And indeed, uh, these Lamanites come back and Ammon, um chops off their arms I and mean, we you know how the story goes. I'm not going to go too much into the context of it because we we should know. Uh, and if we don't, well I encourage you to study study it for yourself. But I want to focus on this symbolism of the arms. Why was it that Ammon chopped all these arms off? Um and why was it that these people that were with Ammon took the arms with them to show them to King Lamoni? Surely they didn't need to put that effort into taking a bunch of arms back to Lake King Lamoni. He could just They could just tell him what happened Uh, and there there would have been more than two or three witnesses there. And so surely that their story would have stood firm. But uh, we know that um, there is probably some sort of um, symbolism behind these arms. It is, first of all, recorded uh, in certain um, cultures within the ancient Near East that uh, the chopping off or cutting off of the arms or other body parts of enemies and then uh, bringing them as trophies was certainly a practice. Uh, that happened in those times, and so uh, we, we have examples there of how that is uh, certainly not a far-fetched um, experience to be happening here, that these arms would be dragged into King Lamoni. But what is unusual, according to the Know-Why uh, number 125 from Book of Mormon Central, why did the servants present Lamoni with the arms of his enemies? Uh, whilst this experience of arms being brought as a trophy uh, to show the conquest of um, victims and people that, you know, were in opposition to them, whilst this is not an unknown and uh, unprecedented event, uh, what is unknown and what is unusual about this is that Ammon himself did not bring the arms to the king. Um, Robert L. Millett and Joseph Field McConkey pointed out, quote, Ammon, whose power was heaven-sent, sought no honour for himself, close quote. The fact that he did not bring these arms to the king to show how great he was the fact that he went about his business as a servant after he had done this great work, blessed by the Lord to do so, demonstrates how Ammon's recognition of where that power from came from was, was founded. And also that um, he just didn't want that honour. Um, and, you know, we, we didn't really need that as an example, I suppose, because we obviously saw that he denied having uh, one of the daughters of King Leonis as, as his wife and uh, and so on. But it is still an important point. And we're going to stop there because we are well over our time. But uh, yeah, it's it's certainly an interesting uh, insight to have. So what we'll do is we'll finish there and we'll continue tomorrow. So thank you for listening today. Uh, there's been a, a number of things we wanted to fit in there. So thank you for listening. Please follow um, the Facebook group Church of Jesus Christ Study Session with Come Follow Me. If you're interested in uh, sharing more content and uh, sharing some content yourself about what you've been studying. And you can also email... Session at gmail.com. It'd be great to hear from any listeners to share any feedback. Thank you for your time and, and until we meet again.